Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Welcome to Girl on the Gov, the podcast, breaking down politics as we know it and removing all the bullshit. (laughs) Because politics needed a (laughs) rebrand. Welcome to Girl on the Gov, the podcast video edition, because if you're listening to this podcast, I'm going to have to ask you. To head over to YouTube because these episodes are now on YouTube, you guys. Video, our faces and all. Our faces and all. And our cute ass microphones. Like, I can't. This is, first of all, the best purchase we have ever made. The Second best purchase. Of all, if you think that I'm not going to make this my entire personality, you are wrong. And third of all, you know what I discovered while taking selfies with it earlier? What? You're going to hate it. You're going to hate it so much. I'm scared. You've seen Monsters, Inc., right? Of course. What's, you know, the little green dude? Mike Wazowski. A.K. Yeah, I don't know. I couldn't remember his name. <laughs> Poor Wazowski. I'm so sorry. Monsters, Inc. fans. I'm so sorry. That was a devastating blow for us all. Moment of silence. Anyways, you know the part where he swallows the microphone? I was oh. doing this all morning. <laughs> Did you take pictures like that? Like you're fucking Ariana Grande? Oh, I like that comparison better. Well, you're looking like Ariana Grande with your sleeves. Do I look cute? Just another reminder. I was like, I'm Mike Wazowski. If you want to see these mics, if you want to see those sleeves, head to YouTube right now. And just on that note, if you don't even watch YouTube that much, or if you want to stick to the podcasting life, we love it. We still support. Go on your hot girl walks. Obsessed. However, if you can just go subscribe on YouTube... That would be tremendous because, obviously, I don't know. What's the reason? So not come support us. Also, LOL, now everyone's going to see how, my, like, me trying not to, like, interrupt you, like, 10 million times. You'd be like, no, I something to say. They're going to see me but interrupt you a thousand times. Everyone, you're so welcome to Chatty Cathy's just really trying, trying their we're damnedest. Just, we're two main characters doing our best. <laughs> <laughs> trying to co- coexist. <laughs> But I do have a very specific fact to the YouTube. It's not even a fact. I don't even know how to qualify this. I'm just making up words. But I do know from our stats that quite a few of you do put the podcast on your Apple TV. So if you already put it on the Apple TV or the smart TV. How do you know that? Here you go. You know, I might be the less technical you are, one of the two of us, but I did analyst? find this data. At JP Morgan, you looking to hire? Kidding. Kidding. We know um, I can't do that. Wow. Do Shout out to the that. to that stat. Yeah. Didn't know that. But yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I think video is fun. A lot of people love YouTubers, vloggers, and we're going to be doing a lot of that. So it's not just going to be podcast episodes. We're going to be making some more video content for you guys. So again, regardless, if you want to just listen on, po- on the podcasting apps per usual, go subscribe because there's going to be more 
content from us, more political content, more politics rebranded. We're going to be doing the whole vlogging YouTube vibes. So just get ready. If you have any ideas, if you have any suggestions of things you would like to see, then please let us know. Samantha now has a bun in her hair, so she's switching it up. This is what you get. Like, if you want to watch us on YouTube, you'll be getting constant glam updates throughout the episode. Mm-hmm. Maybe some outfit changes. But that's a fact. Like, that's yeah. absolutely a fact. Yeah. And do you know what I also <laughs> want to talk about? Speaking of glam. <laughs> what? Okay. So I want to talk about the brony. And I can't remember if I brought this the up what? previously. The brony. Okay, so this might be a little bit of an East Coast lacrosse thing. I'm not sure. Probably. But basically, back in the day, put your hair in a ponytail and do a braid like this, and it is a brony, a braid pony. We've been talking about it for years. We're like, oh my God, yep, classic throat in a brony, whatever. Anyways, I was reading the news out, which is like a really fun newsletter, daily newsletter, mixture of, you know, pop culture, fashion. They actually got into politics a little bit too, but... Regardless, good morning read, throw it into your mix. And they were talking about how the braided ponytail is back in action. It's all the rage. And I was like, I don't disagree. But also, this feels like in high school when I was the first to wear riding boots. And did I get the... just saying that she is the inspo for the braid pony. Yeah. An entire movement. Really, I feel like it's Kendall Jenner and Bella Hadid, but nonetheless Ugh, rude <laughs> we see who's sought no, i'm just kidding <laughs> but we have a great episode per usual per usual but we are covering continue to cover this abortion topic because how could we not and we have an amazing guest today to run us through all the legal implications legal processes of really what's happened and conspired in the past week but even just the past months we've been talking about this for a long time Roe has been under threat for a year or or more at this point I don't even know when the first just absurd abortion laws started to burst onto the scene but that's an actual (laughs) that's an actual phrase okay you don't know is it really yes first onto the scene come on I'll get back to you on that one remember you make up um phrases on the daily so don't come for me don't you dare but nonetheless we have an amazing guest to run us through everything and answer all of our stupid questions about the law because <laughs> we don't know it's not a law podcast we've made that clear before so this guest is helping us be a law podcast for the day it is and just one little one little asterisk to add which i feel like see that's a f- is that a girl in the gut phrase? A little asterisk? Do we? I don't feel like we see that often. Do we? <laughs> I don't know. It might just be a me thing. Oh, yeah. I was going to say that also just bear with us as we get used to being on, on camera because usually when Sam and I do this, we are no makeup, pair up here, full sweatsuit, <laughs> slouching down here. <laughs> I'm usually on the floor. I know Sam actually does always record on the floor. So it's just, it's a little bit different for us. But I do, back to the asterisks, I just want to make one note, is we are trying to cover this topic from a range of perspectives. So this is not going to be the only episode on abortion access on future of Roe v. Wade. We have a few coming up this month. We have another one in June that is on the books. So stay tuned. This is a really good reason to subscribe (laughs) subscribe follow share with your friends because there is more coming more in the pipeline more in the pipeline there's tons in the pipeline because again like sam said there's so many ways to tackle this topic and so many intersections to dissect and learn about so we'll be doing that here and also per usual in such a scary time we'll be providing action items along the way so we can all feel a little less helpless a little more informed and we'll be on our way but let's introduce this guest because she is amazing and did such an amazing job explaining everything a lot of really confusing shit she did an amazing job explaining so a a thousand percent we're basically lawyers after this conversation kidding do not come to us for legal advice do not 
never absolutely do not we are we we do frequent legal zoom but it we aren't we aren't your lawyers unfortunately yeah really bypass that one however do i want a boy to put my girl as a lawyer on his body like pete davidson of course of course i want that you know what ours is? My girl's a podcaster. My girl's a podcast. Which, Whatever boy wants is, to come around and get that tattooed on his body, I'm all yours. I'm all yours. Plastered across your forehead, and that's why I'm just kidding. Just so everybody knows, you know? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to just let that one for this a while. is the most long-winded introduction to a guest we've maybe ever done but oh, so let's just record-breaking let's, let's get just it. cut it off and let's 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 hear let's hear about it who's our guest aye, aye, aye. our guest is senior staff attorney at the center for reproductive rights hillary schnellner we are very excited to welcome her to the podcast get into as we did note before our Pete Davidson rant, <laughs> all things Roe v. Wade, talking about the legal end of things, what this means for future court cases as well, and ones that aren't just Roe v. Wade, but of course the impacts of precedent and what that means for our futures, bodily autonomy, and more. So without further ado, here is Hillary. Let's go. All right, well, let's get into it. You are a senior staff attorney for the Center for Reproductive Rights. Before we get into the larger conversation, which I think just even saying that really gives a hint as to what we're going to be talking to today, can you give us the 411 on what the center does? What's the mission there? Just give us a little bit of that background. Sure, absolutely. And thank you so much for having me, especially um, this week. The Center for Reproductive Rights is a global legal organization that works on advancing reproductive rights as human rights across the world. So we have offices in the U.S. and in New York and D.C. specifically, as well as offices across the world in Bogota, Nairobi and Geneva. And we work on, of course, abortion, but also contraception and maternal health and other reproductive rights issues specific to the regions we work in. And, you know, we work in the U.S. with Congress and state legislatures, and then I work in state and federal courts as a litigator. Gotcha. And to kind of talk about, too, your role as senior staff attorney there, can you kind of also shed light on a case that you are co-lead on, which is the Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization? Can you tell us about this case? Who are the parties involved? Give us a run through. Sure. So this case is a challenge to Mississippi's ban on abortion at 15 weeks. And we can get sort of more into the details of that. But the bottom line is the, the law violates longstanding Supreme Court precedent, starting with Roe v. Wade, that says states cannot ban abortion for anyone. <laughs> up until at least viability, which is around 23 to 24 weeks. So this completely violates that very, very clear rule that has been in place for 50 years. When Mississippi passed this law, it knew it was unconstitutional. It set it up as a test case to overrule Roe. And Jackson Women's Health Organization is our client, is the only abortion clinic in Mississippi and has been the only abortion clinic in that state for over a decade now. Wow. They have been our, yes, it's, and we can get more into this too, that, you know, while obviously we'll talk a lot about bans on abortion, right, the state of abortion access, even before states started passing bans, was really bad. So the clinic in Mississippi is not the only clinic in Mississippi. By coincidence, it is because of laws that have been passed year after year that have chipped away at access and shut down, you know, other providers. So they have been able to, right, be resilient and persevere through all of those other unconstitutional restrictions that that remain on the books. And I think that actually brings a really good question to the the table, if you will, is how did they persevere? How did they end up being sort of the last woman standing, if you will? Yeah, I mean, it is an incredibly difficult, challenging thing to be an abortion provider and certainly to be the only abortion provider in the state. 
we have represented Jackson Women's Health Organization for over 20 years now and have challenged right other laws that have sought to restrict access or shut the clinic down. In particular, there was a law passed in 2012 that would have shut the only clinic in Mississippi down, you know, with the goal that the governor stated of making Mississippi, quote unquote, abortion free. We were able to succeed in that challenge and and block the law from taking effect and keep the clinic open. But year after year, there have to be lawsuits to prevent these laws from taking effect. Not every lawsuit is successful. Not every law is challenged, right? So there are a number of restrictions currently on the books in Mississippi, including requirement that patients make two trips to a clinic separated by at least 24 hours, right? Including to just get pills to end a pregnancy. So that's just one of them. But the state has done essentially everything it can to make it impossible to access abortion in the state. That's absolutely wild. And to kind of also get the legal process run through as well, can you kind of explain how this case like gets to the desk of the Supreme Court and just that process and kind of run us through that? Because I mean, that's a question we all have. Yeah, sure. So when the law passed in 2018, it was blocked very quickly because it is very easy to apply the rule that the state cannot prohibit abortion at 15 weeks. So a district court blocked the law and then an appellate court the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals agreed, again, blocking the law. The state of Mississippi asked the Supreme Court to review the case in 2020, in June of 2020. There was no reason for the court, (laughs) the Supreme Court to take the case. Usually the Supreme Court takes cases when there's sort of different outcomes on similar laws across the country because you're constitutional rights should not depend on which state you live in. And in this situation, every court that has ruled on a ban on abortion has ruled the same way, blocking them. There was no reason for the court to take this case. It decided to take the case about a year later in May of 2021. And just for sort of context, right, the interim, in that interim, the the composition of the court changed with Justice Ginsburg passing away and Justice Barrett being appointed to the court. Well, that was exactly the question I was going to ask because I was like thinking about, okay, well, how does this get to the desk of the Supreme Court? And then thinking of all the other cases that have made it or not made it. And it seemed just so odd to me besides obviously, you know, designed to sort of get there, but just what, what a whirlwind. But speaking of sort of the background of these things and what cases are built on, What is a legal precedent? We've heard this term time and time again in explanations around these cases. But for someone that maybe isn't, you know, going to law school, maybe they're not really up to speed with all things legal jargon. What does this mean? The precedent really just, you know, a a case, a rule that has been decided and that provides guidance for the future. Right. So in this situation, Roe v. Wade was decided in 1973. It said each person has the right to terminate a pregnancy up until the point of viability, which I had said was around 23 or 24 weeks. That has been reaffirmed, you know, said there have been challenges to Roe over the years. Every single time the court has said, nope, we are standing by this decision. The right to an abortion, it's fundamental. It is an essential protection for liberty in the Constitution. And that will guide us in deciding future cases. So that's all that precedent just means, right? A guide for for the future. Yeah. Moving on to our other I have a stupid question and our I have a stupid question segment. (laughs) What is an amicus brief and how does that play into this conversation as well? Yeah. So amicus briefs mean friend of the court briefs. So at the Supreme Court, there is a brief that we filed and there is a brief that the state of Mississippi filed. And then there are briefs filed by friends of the state of Mississippi and friends of Jackson Women's Health Organization to sort of give the court a sense of how the outcome of the case could impact, you know, different constituencies. So we have medical and health experts, you know, legal scholars. And what was really exciting in this case in particular was a brief filed on behalf of over 6,000 people who have had abortions. 
So folks who, you know, signed their name to say, court, as you consider the importance of the right to abortion, I want to tell you sort of my story and share my name with you. So that was a brief led by the organizations we testify and advocates for youth and incredibly powerful. Can anyone file an amicus brief or is there sort of a set of rules as to who can and when any of those details? Yeah, there is definitely a timeline of when they have to be filed. There's no real requirement as to who can file a brief. I mean, having a lawyer who's sort of barred at the Supreme Court, I think, is necessary, but there's sort of no restriction on the viewpoints that can be expressed or who can express them uh, in an amicus So it's like judicial lobbying, essentially. Yeah, it is explaining to the court why why what the cases they're deciding matter to various parts of the public. So it's a really both a great vehicle for the court, but also a vehicle to to tell the public, right, this is why you should care about this case. Yeah. Okay. And then last little question explainer here. Can you run us through what is due process? Sure. So (laughs) the 14th Amendment says that the government cannot deprive you of life, liberty, or property without due process. And so there are two aspects of that. One is procedural due process. What are the procedures the court, the the government needs to go through before it may deprive you of life, liberty, or, or property, like notice and a hearing, things like that that are procedural. The other aspect is substantive due process, which are protect liberties, things that are just so important that no matter what process the government would give you before depriving you of those liberties just is not enough. So things like the right to personal decision-making, the right to bodily autonomy, right? There is no process the government could give any of us before depriving us of those liberties. That would be, that would be enough. So that's sort of the, the substantive aspect of due process. Gotcha. Okay. Makes sense. It's all these terms (laughs) where, no, it absolutely does. And I think when looking at this case and other cases that this will impact too, it's important to know these terms and we want to be able to explain them, understand them and want our audience to be able to as well. So that's perfect. Just a little law school moment. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Just ran us through a quick little law school. I mean, I'm dressed for an Elwoods moment, so we're here for it. It's giving Elwoods. (laughs) What can I say? But speaking of cases, want to talk about the connection between this particular one at the Supreme Court and its connection to Roe v. Wade. How is this going to be used to overturn Roe v. Wade? Can you explain that, you know, connecting the dots moment? Yeah. So in 1973 in Roe, the court decided that every person has a right protected by the liberty guarantee of the 14th Amendment to an abortion, to decide whether or not to continue a pregnancy, and that states cannot prohibit any person from making that decision before they drew the line at viability, which is the point at which a fetus can survive outside the pregnant person's body, so has some kind of independent existence on its own. Before the point of viability, the state cannot prohibit abortion. After viability, the state can prohibit abortion, but has to have exceptions for the life and health of the pregnant person. So that has been the rule for 50 years. It was revisited and reaffirmed by the Supreme Court in a case called Planned Parenthood versus Casey in 1992, where the court allowed states to have more restrictions on abortion, but still stood by this very basic point of when states cannot prohibit abortion. This case is about a ban on abortion at 15 weeks, which clearly violates that very basic rule that Roe set, saying that every person has the right to make this decision, you know, beyond 15 weeks. So the question before the court really is, are you going to uphold Mississippi's 15-week ban, which requires overruling Roe, Or will you stand by Roe and continue to say that states cannot prohibit abortion, that each individual retains this right themselves? Yeah. 
And so you've litigated on many abortion cases before. Let's talk about the outcomes. What are the odds of a positive outcome here? And really, what is it going to take to achieve a positive outcome? Like, what are... And bias here, obviously, positive to us is it not being overturned. Obviously. Yeah. yeah. Obviously. Yeah. So, I mean, there have been many challenges to row over the five decades since it was decided. I think this is the seventh, like, pretty clear challenge to row, which means every other time the court has said, no, we are going to stand by this very basic protection and say that each person, not the government, gets to make these decisions. You know, every argument Mississippi has made in this case for overruling Roe, the same exact arguments the court has considered and rejected before. That all said, obviously, in front of the composition of the court matters. We are in a really challenging place right now where it is it is very possible the court could overrule Roe could uphold the 15-week ban. I think that is a reality we have to confront. It's something we have been saying, right, since totally even before this case got to the court, but it, it's a very, it would be a devastating loss and the, the first time the court ever took away a fundamental right, if that's, if that's the way the court goes. That's totally. crazy and- to think of it that, of that way, just like to hear be the first time they take away a fundamental right it's wild which definitely means that other rights will essentially be up for grabs or at least from my perspective of understanding it so with that in mind what other cases will this impact that have been decided on previously yeah so beyond so obviously there are you know dozens of abortion cases challenging either bans on abortion at various points in pregnancy you know from six weeks to beyond 15 weeks. So we are looking at, you know, about half the states in the country being able to enforce bans on abortion very early in pregnancy, that which currently is clearly unconstitutional. But beyond abortion, a decision overruling Roe would threaten the right to contraception, the right to marry someone of a different race or sex, the right to consensual sexual relationships, the right to raise our families, all of these are sort of bound up in the same personal decision-making, bodily autonomy protections that Roe is based on. And and those cases all are based on Roe. So if you pull one thread out, it is very hard to see, right, how the rest of the sort of quilt of rights, I don't know, to... Maybe corny doesn't fall apart. Yeah. I mean, why is it too like so dangerous to go against precedent? And like when looking just at the Supreme Court, it's always been like the unbiased, non-political body of government. How is this going to affect just people's like trust in this body? And I, you know, how is it going to change the dynamic forever? I mean, it's I feel like it already has just been the way the politics around nominating Supreme Court justices have have been and how political it's gotten. What do you see for just the future of SCOTUS and how it's going to change? This is going to change the dynamic, you know, moving forward. Yeah, well, one of the very important things about precedent is that it provides stability, right? And an assurance that the composition of the court, although it changes over the years, that does not determine, right, what our what our rights are, what the Constitution means. And so the court has rules for when it overturns precedent. And so it looks at, has the law or facts around this issue changed? Has the rule been like hard to follow? Is it sort of a bad rule that just people aren't understanding that courts have trouble applying? And have people relied on our precedent? Or is it something that if we take it away, won't really have a big impact on people? And all of those questions in this case, right, weigh very heavily in favor of retaining the right. So if the court overturns Roe and finds that the Constitution provides no protection for the right to abortion, I think it will not only right, destabilize the confidence in the court and, and what right stability around precedent means in general, as well as sort of threatens these other liberty rights on which Roe 
relies and, and is built on. So there are sort of a lot of catastrophic consequences, not only for the court, obviously, but but for the whole country. Yeah, it's scary stuff. Oh, boy. Oh, boy, is all I can really even begin to say. And then We're managing. To therapy, you know, <laughs> exactly. We're managing. We're managing. Well, we do want to talk about the leak that started it all. And when we say started it all, just really start the conversation at this length and this depth this particular week, not as an overall, obviously, thing we've been talking about before. It's been something that's been a buzzing for quite some time. But with Alito and his opinion, his trash opinion, I'm just going to throw my own opinion (laughs) in there as well. Sorry. But he makes some references to really, really outdated law from the 17th, 18th century. How is he allowed to do that and integrate that into his arguments when some of those justifications aren't even based on American law? Yes, it's a really good question. I mean, the first thing to say is that these are all arguments that Mississippi advanced in support of overruling Roe. So the the draft leaked opinion really adopts sort of wholesale every argument that Mississippi has made to the court. And this really cramped approach to deciding what what the 14th Amendment protects, right, is looking back to a time when women didn't have the right to vote, right? People of color were not, and black people in particular, right? were not full and equal participants in society. So it's a really disturbing and outdated way of approaching, right? What does liberty mean, right? We can look at, does liberty include personal decision-making, bodily integrity? Yes, of course, rather than looking at, right? whether the specific practice of abortion was affirmatively protected in the 1617, 1800s, when, right, none of us were full sort of citizens in society. So it has sort of a number of really disturbing and problematic consequences. Yeah, totally. And I actually have one more question sort of on that note. When justices are pulling together their arguments, what is like the process for that? Like, is there, are they referencing, you know, other cases? Like, how do they research what is going to justify essentially their opinion? Yeah, so a lot of the information comes from the briefs that, so the parties submit briefs. Mississippi submitted a brief in this case. We submitted a brief in this case. You know, historians submitted briefs in this case, including historians who submitted a brief explaining in more detail why the approach to history in the draft opinion is not correct. And, you know, they also, the justices hear oral arguments. So some of these questions came up at the oral argument in this case in December. And then, of course, I think they can do their their own research as to whatever whatever is out there in the world. I mean, interesting process. Yeah, I just can't with the 17th, 18th century of it all. It's just insane to me. But kind of run it back on kind of something we touched on earlier, which is just, you know, these other kind of rights that could be stripped, be it, you know, LGBTQ plus interracial marriage, segregation, etc. What are some like, I guess, red flags to look for when thinking about the future of these rights? Like is are we are we close to possibly having those be threatened as well or is that just maybe we'll cross that bridge when it gets to it like what do you what are you feeling on the future of those yeah i mean i think that if if the court overrules roe right if this draft leaked opinion represented a final order of the court it's extremely difficult to see how those other rights are not threatened right the, the draft says, you know, abortion is different. Abortion involves potential life. And that is why, you know, it is different. Don't worry so much about the right to marry, the right to contraception, all of that. But the approach to history that the draft opinion takes would not protect any of those other rights, right? The It's sort of internally inconsistent as to pointing you in the direction of this potential life concern, but also looking at whether certain practices were deeply rooted and protected in the 1800s, right, which the right to contraception, the right to marry of a person of a different race or sex certainly weren't. And the other thing I'll say is a lot of those rights are already 
under threat. We saw earlier this week a court in Alabama allow a felony, uh, a ban on trans health care go into effect where there are felony criminal penalties in under that ban. So, right, it's, it's not like so far fetched to see a lot of these other rights that are are sort of protected under the same rubric as Roe being being threatened. Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> I love 2022. It's a great time to be alive. Love and life. Like I... send me to Mars. But since we can't do that at this moment, <laughs> looking at outcomes like we chatted about a little bit earlier, is there anything anyone listening can do to sort of prevent this outcome or also on the flip too, if the eventual, you know, overturning of Roe does happen? How can it be mitigated? Are there is there anything that anyone can sort of do as an individual? Yeah, I mean, I think right now, you know, being part of the mobilizations that are happening, the protests at courthouses and across the country is really important, right? Making visible that people care uh, about Roe and the right to abortion is incredibly important. It, you know, a majority of Americans, I think it's almost 70%, want to see Roe stand. And so, right, making that 70% visible is, I think, incredibly important. The other piece is just to know that right, abortion rights are not in a great place, even if the court stands by Roe. Already, you know, we have seen for almost a year now a six-week ban in effect in Texas. A six-week ban recently went into effect in Oklahoma. So, people seeking abortion care need help now. And so folks should absolutely donate to abortion funds, support their local independent abortion providers in their communities. The other thing I'll note is there are a couple of ballot initiatives that are coming up in the next few months, in particular in Michigan, Vermont, Kansas, Kentucky, and Montana. So kind of getting involved in protecting abortion access or defeating attempts to restrict abortion access that are on the ballot is another sort of pretty tangible thing folks folks can do i we love action items yeah i was gonna say the ballot initiatives thing is perfect thing to put on people's radars so for everyone listening there you have it we'll put some details on our social pages as well specific to those but in the meantime thank you so much for coming on We want to also make sure that you can plug the Center for Reproductive Rights. Can you give us the details as to where people can find you guys and how they can support? Yeah, absolutely. I think all of our social media are is at Repro Rights. So folks can follow in all those places. And our website is reprorights.org. Pretty, pretty straightforward. So <laughs> we love it. yes, absolutely support the Center for Reproductive Rights. But also, again, these sort of practical support organizations and abortion funds are, are another great way to provide sort of tangible support to folks accessing, trying to access abortion today. Yes. Well, we will be constantly plugging and pushing out those resources. So thank you for highlighting those and just thank you for answering all of our questions so helpful especially in just this time i think so many people are confused and a little lost of like where to turn and what this all means so thank you for running us through it and we appreciate you no absolutely Thanks. thank you very much for having me for talking about it and getting a little into the weeds <laughs> yeah. we love the weeds let us tell you <laughs> yeah it's the legal weeds top stories of the week it's election season officially officially it's primary season baby and we had our first or not first because texas decided to be insane and have their primary in february which is they're still on my shit list for but this is kind of the real primary season is kicking off then it kicked off last week and we have more this week we have more next week we have more after that so we're gonna run through some of these states and what's going on in them to kick it off, let's talk about Nebraska because there is a governor primary especially happening that everyone has their eye on. And Nebraska Republicans will pick a nominee for governor Tuesday, aka when we're recording this, aka yesterday yep. for your Wednesday listeners. So in a bitter primary race that has upended in recent weeks after a leading candidate endorsed by former President Donald Trump was accused of groping at least eight women over the past Lovely. few years. Cute, cute. Not to mention, by the way, I don't know if we're going to talk 
Did we talk? Are we going to talk about last week's? Last week's primaries or yeah. the creep that, that I put here? on our TikTok? Well, no. Just speaking of like disgusting men in this primary season. Oh, J.D. Vance? Are we talking about him? No, we're talking about the man in Indiana who won his primary from jail oh. because he killed his wife. Yes, 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 yes. So that's what we're up against, you guys, this year. So more reason to get your ass out and vote and make sure you are voting. (laughs) I know I made this comment in the TikTok related to that. Like, I don't know the population size of that particular area. But regardless, like, only 60 people turning out to vote in that election Guys, well, it's, we got to do better. And also, I mean, it is a rural area. So like I like I said, I don't it know. It genuinely like, could population. be like 60 people in that town. <laughs> yeah. So like, you know, and it is like county, whatever. But 60 people literally voted for someone that admitted to murdering his wife. Yeah. Just like, yep. Yep. That's where we're at. Like they were so, like, excuse me. Like, you know what? It was only one murder. Oops. Yeah. Like, that, like, like what is I It was a one time thing. Can't even... Can't even get in the yeah, head of that. Super dark. Um, One time thing. <laughs> super morbid, but just <gasps> what can you do mercy. except like anxiously and nervously laugh about it? That's that's my um, mo. Well, I I can say one thing that people can do about it is yeah. there is currently no Democratic challenger in that particular race, and they are able to get on the ballot. So. Go oh, check out our ticket. Come t- through. Oh, come, I t- <laughs> come through with that action item. Yeah. That's a great one. But okay, continuing on with Nebraska, Charles Herbster. Can we talk about this name too? I just can't with some of these names. Charles Charles that, Herbster. Like a, hamster. Like a literal hamster. <laughs> Charles Herbster, which honestly, he deserves that shitty name. Um, a businessman and a cattle breeder who has denied the allegations, is in a nine-way GOP primary to replace Republican Governor Pete Ricketts, who's prevented by term limit laws by running ag- from running again. And other leading candidates include Jim Pillen, a, vet- a veterinarian, and hog farm owner. Are we in Nebraska? Or are, we, are we in Nebraska? I'm not sure. Endorsed by Ricketts and State Senator Brett Lindstrom, an Omaha financial advisor who gained traction recently with a surge of money and will support and support from the city's Republican mayor. So the winner will emerge as a strong favorite in November's general election in Republican-dominated Nebraska. And State Senator Carol Blood is the top candidate for the Democratic nomination for governor. So... There's the run through there. But um, I will say that one of the takeaways that I got there was that nine way. It just sounds like literally. I I had the exact same thought. The exact same thought. Yeah. It just. But. But. (laughs) Jail time for both of us. (laughs) Not nine way going immediately. Lord help us. Oh, my God. Anyways, hopefully they put us in the same cell, at least. That's all I can really hope for. <laughs> Just at least neighbors. <laughs> okay. Make sure we mow the lawn. Keep no, but like, the... I can't. we'll, we'll I be can't. in jail, but like the guy who killed his wife and won the primary won't. <laughs> that feels uh, just very American to me. So Yeah, it's right. It seems right. Before we move on to another state in the mixture of yeah. this little primary scenario i just want to direct people to another episode of ours involving nebraska and that's our episode with the states project so go check it out we we really give a lot of a lot of attention to nebraska and how their state government is set up and it's unique i'm not gonna give any hints because i'm just gonna say go listen it's to unicameral <laughs> man maybe you can't give the another, answer well not everybody open... knows what it means they have to go listen the... to learn what it means Okay, that still works. I see what you're saying. Honestly, I think now that's going to push some people to go listen. Now there's like a little bit of tension. I'm done. Let's just move on. <laughs> <That's> done. <laughs> All right. Well, West Virginia is also holding a primary. <sighs> Trump has weighed on on this one as well, specifically the congressional primary between two Republican incumbents. The former president-backed Representative Alex Mooney over Representative David McKinley, who angered Trump by voting for President Joe Biden's bipartisan infrastructure package and the creation of the House Committee 
investigating the January 6th little insurrection. Grow up, Trump. Had, I mean, it's just really it's a classic by him. We're not petty. Surprised. Can we can we get ten dollars for petty? Thank you very much. And also, you know, I it's interesting someone being so petty over infrastructure. I mean, clearly it's the other thing that's really swingalinging the whole thing. But anyways, Trump is facing some of the biggest tests of his influence in Republican primary elections later this month in Pennsylvania. He's endorsed Senate candidate TV's Dr. Oz, who is locked in a competitive race against former hedge fund CEO David McCormick and five others. Well, his candidate in North Carolina, U.S. Rep. Ted Budd, what a bud, is competing in a field that includes a dozen other Republicans. And then, then, in Georgia, Trump has endorsed primary challengers to Governor Brian Kemp and Secretary of State Rod Raffensperger, both of whom defied him by rejecting his false claims of voter fraud in Raffensperger really defied him. He hates that man. Oh. For a little um, history lesson to 2020, because who has a memory anymore? Not me. But Raffensperger was the one that Trump was, like, calling while the election results were being counted, being like, hey, I need you to find some votes for me. And basically was trying to manipulate him into creating some fake votes so he could win Georgia. But New Mexico... New Mexico is also starting to vote, and early voting starting Tuesday across New Mexico ahead of the June 7th, aka today, um, ahead of the June 7th primary election day. So they have early voting, which we love to see, and again, their primary, official primaries until June 7th. So if you're in New Mexico, get out, early vote, shorter lines, more options of when you can go vote, so make sure you do it. But basically- Yeah. I really want to go. Like, there are two places I really want to do trips. I mean, there's more than two places, but, like, that are on my radar. New Mexico and Arizona. Like, I really want to go to both. I've been mm-hmm. just, like, really craving, like, that type of landscape. Deserty. I love yeah. – I honestly love the desert. There's something I, just, like – it really just is an escape, I feel like, because it's just so different. But I – Totally. I've been like, to both. I – in our when I was working on the campaign, we oh. had, like, a little – we were trying to make a team retreat for like a weekend and my boss was like should we go to new mexico like i want it i want um to go somewhere warm and i was like it's december like it's gonna be freezing there it literally they're skiing there they're skiing in new mexico yeah yeah like good skiing but we got there and it was absolutely frigid and my boss was like wait i thought we were going to the to the desert what's going on but it's a cool place. Nonetheless, let's get into this election. Yeah, so sorry. We'll get, Anyways, to, uh, we'll get Sam to the Southwest. Yeah. The Southwest is, is is a good time. But anyways, so Republican nominee for governor in New Mexico and Democratic nominees for attorney general and other statewide offices are kind of what we're watching here. So election officials began mailing absentee ballots to local voters and county clerks' offices, opened their doors to in-person voting, and expanded early voting begins May 21st at more polling locations. So if you guys also are in New Mexico or really anywhere and you have questions on your election dates and deadlines, then let us know, especially on TikTok. If you go comment on one of our TikToks, we can make a video for you or tag you in the video that has been made for your state. Anyways, so five Republican governors are vying for the nomination to challenge Democrat Democratic Governor Michelle Grisham as she seeks a second term, and they include former television meteorologist Mark Ronchetti, state rep Rebecca Dow of Truth or Consequences. I'm going to do a quick Is that Google. her name? Stop. No, that's got to be like she has like a company or something. Oh, oh, of Truth or Consequences. Okay, so she must maybe has a show. <laughs> What's going on? Hold on, hold on. Does she have a podcast? Okay. she a podcaster? Rebecca Dow. Hold on. Sorry, guys. We're doing a little googly schmoogly. We fact check here at Girl on the Gov. Okay. Well, we're just going to move on from her because I'm kind of scared of her. I'm kind of scared. And then the last one is Sandoval County Commissioner Jay Block. Excuse me. So Democratic voters will select a nominee for the state's top law enforcement post as Attorney General Hector Balderas completes his second term and term limits prevent him from serving longer as well. Albuquerque-based district attorney Raul Torres is competing against lawyer and state auditor Brian Colon. 
Don't. Don't you dare. <laughs> Who is also from Albuquerque. The winner will compete against Republican attorney and U.S. Marine veteran Jeremy Michael Gay of Gallup. Interesting. That, you know what that sounds like? Literally like a Disney like prince or like someone like with some royal title like now in, like in like princess diaries now introducing jeremy michael gay of Gallup. yeah you know like it gives, no it's like it's giving well, even, it's also gi- yeah like bridgerton it's also giving like mm-hmm. same with the rebecca dow of truth or consequences like of something it's like that's bridgerton and nothing else but it's nice when i think of what my princess name would be there's actually you have you that. seen the tiktoks where you like make your bridgerton yes name? That's fun. That's cute. But more info on New Mexico primary, just for everybody. Yes, 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 yes. Moving on. New Mexico requires affiliation with a major party in order to vote in a primary. But recent changes in state election law make it easier for unaffiliated voters to participate in the primary if they choose to affiliate with a major party. Even, here's the catcher. The catcher? Whatever. Briefly. Yep. Briefly. Under same-day voter registration procedures, people who belong to my, ma'am, Samantha Lee Cantor, minor parties or decline affiliation can still participate in the statewide primary by picking a major party affiliation on site at election day polling places, county clerk's offices, and some early voting locations. State election regulators. I was just going to say this is an important note, I feel like, for primary election education Mm -hmm. because you need to check your state primary election rules i would call them yeah and make sure you need if you need to be registered to a party sometimes in some states you have to be registered to a party in order to participate in the primary elections some you don't so it depends on what state you're in so that's also some information you need to check on because if you're registered but you're not registered with a party then you might not be able to vote in the primary so Check on that. If you have questions, let us know per usual. But just an important piece, I think, that people probably sleep on. Because I also, my um, uncle recently, he was like, oh, I'm like registered as an independent and this is in California. And he was like, but I, he's like very, very much a Democrat, but for some reason doesn't want to, you know, register with the party. And he was like, so I don't like vote in the primaries. But, and I was like, whoa, whoa, like, you should because like you're complaining so much about all of these shitty candidates it starts in the primaries if you want the like actual candidate you would love to see in the general get to the general you need to vote in the primary and in order to do that you need to register as a democrat because that's who you vote for anyway so why aren't you just registered so you can vote in the primaries and he was like oh my god you're right and so he like my uncle like literally didn't even know that so just an important piece of information if you are unaffiliated unaffiliated or in some type of minor party like an independent green party or whatever all the other you know all the other parties are kitten caboodles yeah um also there are a few different types of primaries so if you guys have any questions or wants to do a run through on that let us know we're happy to pull that together share it on social give the 411 a little walk through you know mm-hmm. the deets but moving away from the past hop, hopping in the car just Moving away from electoral politics to executive. The executive, I don't know. I don't know. Just Biden's been signing some bills, okay? <laughs> it's so funny how he has a pen for some of these, but not for canceling student debt. It's crazy, uh, isn't it? It's crazy. It's, it's so, so crazy. crazy. You're like, oh my God, like, is there a, a shortage of, like, there's a shortage of baby formula, but, like, clearly no shortage of pens, so... It's just, yeah, it's Biden. crazy how the world works, you know? Yeah, it really is. Back to Biden. Biden signed a Ukraine bill seeking $40 billion in aid. So Washington sought to portray a united front against Russia's invasion of Ukraine as President Joe Biden signed a bipartisan measure to reboot the World War II era Lend-Lease program. Which is funny. I do actually remember learning that. Some, Wait, me in the education too. System. Wow. Lend-Lease program. It's triggering memories for sure. Mm-hmm. It's screaming AP history, which helped defeat Nazi Germany to bolster Kiev and Eastern European allies. The signing Monday, a little start of the week action, came as the U.S. Congress is poised to unleash billions more to fight the war against Russia, with Democrats preparing 40 bill money, money, money in military and humanitarian aid, larger than the 33 bill package Biden had requested. Wow. Like, 
getting more than he bargained for. Is, is that a first? Go off. Is, go off. I was about to say go off queen, but that is just Go not, off king. Right. You can't there, call the president ooh, a king. Oh. That's problematic. <laughs> yeah. Wow. We are really weeding into weeding into some waters. What? Don't <laughs> ever come for me for another phrase ever again. I will actually make like a video of all of your weird phrases. I will stay up all night and I will just slice together <laughs> every bizarre phrase you've ever put together next time honestly <laughs> i think that's most the most likely thing we've ever done to go viral so. true yeah definitely too lazy to do it but whatever it all serves as a response to putin who has seized on victory in europe day the anniversary of germany's unconditional surrender 1945 and russia's biggest patriotic holiday to rally his people behind the invasion biden said this aid has been critical to ukraine's success on the battlefield well that's that on that. But one other program slash pen moment for President Joe Biden is that he is announcing a program offering a discounted internet service. And Biden said high speed internet is not a luxury any longer. It's a necessity. Um, the way they described this quote, Biden said at a sun drenched rose garden event with representatives from participating companies as well as members of Congress. It's giving like um it's also giving Bridgerton. It's giving no, it's giving like Hunger Games, like the capital, you know, like the president loves roses. Oh, the, like, I don't but I'll president. take your word for it. Okay. So, anyways, the 1 trillion dollar infrastructure package passed by Congress last year included 14.2 billion dollars funding for affordable connectivity program, which provides $30 month $30 of monthly subsidies, $75 in tribal areas on internet service for millions of lower income households. And with the new commitment from the internet providers, some 48 million households will be eligible for $30 monthly plans for 100 megabits. I don't know anything about Wi-Fi. I don't understand it, but megabits per second or higher speed service, making internet service fully paid for with government assistance if they sign up with one of the providers participating in the program. And so Biden, during his White House run and the push for the infrastructure bill, made expanding high-speed internet access in rural and low-income areas a priority, which a lot of people don't realize how many areas in this country do not have access to broadband internet. So super important. I think this is amazing. And um, he's repeatedly spoken out about low-income families that have struggled finding a lot of Wi-Fi so their children could take part in remote schooling, complete homework assignments early in the coronavirus pandemic, including, he said Monday, families driving to McDonald's parking lots to access wireless internet inside the restaurant, which is absolutely crazy. And especially just in this day and age where everyone's pretty much going remote these days to get anything done. Um, I mean, it's been it's been time even before the pandemic to make sure everybody has access to the internet because it's such a crucial part of life now. Oh, okay, my hair just got stuck on something on my body. Um, but that is that on that. Those are our top stories, and this is our first video episode. You guys got to we see my it. ADHD in real life. Yeah, Aww. you got to see us just be insane. Like, wow. Usually just sound insane, and now they at least can see like the faces behind it. Maybe it'll make us look like less insane. I don't know. Maybe. But again, if you listened to this podcast as a podcast um, and want to see some video content from us, go subscribe on YouTube. If you are watching on YouTube, hey, hello. What's Um, up? Subscribe. What else do you do on YouTube? You want to comment? Like it? Oh, thumbs up this video. That's what they say. Mm. Um. But yeah, again, if again, even if you don't plan to watch the YouTube episodes, if you can go subscribe on YouTube, we would love you forever. And I think it's also going to be a great place if you guys have questions about anything we talk about in the episodes, YouTube allows commenting. So if you guys have like questions while you're watching, you can comment um, your questions below and we can work on answering them either on Instagram, on TikTok or in our next episodes. So go check it out. Subscribe on youtube on spotify on apple podcasts follow us on instagram follow us on tiktok anything else save our posts rate review share share our content sharing is caring 
sharing. That's what we say. And it's a great action item in a very contentious political election year. And if you want to make sure your friends are informed and ready to vote this year, then share this content and help them get their political learning started as well. So, but that is it. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And per usual, we'll be talking to you all next Wednesday. Woo! (laughs) Bye! Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description.